Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome, Blockhead listeners, to a new episode. Today we have, as promised, John Rose of that bodacious comic strip Barney Google and Snuffy Smith, here to talk about everything hoot and holler. <laughs> really going to enjoy this one. Uh, we take a walk through comic strip history a little bit. Snuffy Smith, Barney Google's 100 years old, actually 101 years old this year. They celebrated their 100th anniversary last year uh, with a wonderful celebration which brought Barney Google to hoot and holler again and we talk a little bit about that we talk a lot about Fred Laswell John's predecessor on Barney Google and Snuffy Smith the man who more or less invented Snuffy and all of the characters that inhabit hoot and holler Fred Laswell started working for Billy DeBeck in 1934 as his assistant on Barney Google and that was the year they introduced Snuffy Smith from what John tells me and from what I've read, uh, Billy DeBeck wanted somebody who came from Appalachia or the mountains or hillbilly country as it was known then. And uh, in fact, Fred Laswell was that man. <laughs> and so he came on board and Billy DeBeck unfortunately passed away in 1942. Uh, and Fred Laswell picked up the strip and took it all the way to 2001. So this episode is a bit of a walk through comic strip history with John as a guide. And of course, we also talk about John's career, his beginnings as an editorial cartoonist and creative director, and his eventual move into comics and taking over Barney Google and Snuffy Smith from the great Fred Laswell. Some big shoes to fill, but John fills them admirably indeed. And so... Without further ado, let's get right to it. John Rose of Snuffy Smith and myself in conversation. Hello, John Rose. Welcome to Blockhead. Oh, thank you very much, Jeff. Hello to you, and it's an honor for me to be on your podcast. I've listened to many of them, so I feel like I already know you. Oh man, I'm I'm totally I'm chuffed as they say. Uh that, that you know, you listen to the I think uh, you mentioned in an email that you listen to them while you work and uh that's like wow, that's like the greatest compliment. Uh Yeah, especially when I'm inking. I like to listen to podcasts when I'm inking. Oh yeah, right? Cuz inking mm -hmm. is a different mindset, right? Than, than right. writing and drawing. You know, there's something very relaxing and you can get into that. It's like painting. Inking is very much like painting in the way it feels. You, you get into this, this kind of meditative mindset, I think. And uh, you True. just let the brush kind of flow, you know. So are, are you working old school then? Do you put the ink down on paper? For the most part, yes. Um, I, uh, I do all the drawing and, and inking by hand. Um, I did create a font for myself, and that's really based on the fact that uh, when I was an assistant to Fred Laswell, 
he had a font. He was probably one of the first cartoonists to ever have a font. Wow. Um, so I, I do have a font that I use for most of my lettering. And then I do uh, scan my artwork in the computer and I'll, you know, make some minor adjustments there or, you know, reduce it and add copyright symbols and things like that. But I, I do scan it and email it. But for the most part, I, I do everything traditionally. Uh huh. You know, it's uh, interesting to hear you say that Fred Laswell had a font. I mean, it's nothing for you and me to have fonts nowadays and cartoonists do it all the time. But to hear Fred Laswell had a font, uh, you know, I mean, my gosh, he'd been doing the comic since 1942. Right. And uh, right. Um, and then didn't retire till 2001. So, you know, that whole idea is new to, to cartoonists who are our generation, never mind Fred Laswell. So that's amazing. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, that was, I don't know exactly the year that he uh, created it, but I started working for him in 1998 um, as his inking assistant, and he had the font at that time. Wow. So okay. that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that is a long time ago. And uh, and it's really interesting that he was still, even at that point in his career, uh, unafraid of venturing into new territory and new ways of doing things. So uh, just for folks who are just tuning in, John is the cartoonist uh, and writer, right, of uh, Snuffy Smith and Barney Google. Barney Google and Snuffy Smith really is the is the title. Right. You've been doing it since what, 2001? Right. I, I started as an assistant to Fred in 1998. And then uh, when he passed away in March of 2001, um, that's that's when I began uh, my tenure as a cartoonist on Barney Google and Snuffy Smith. So Fred Laswell was working on Snuffy Smith right up until he passed away. Exactly. Yes. Mm hmm. Gosh, that's unbelievable. Uh, before we, you know, we get into your whole story, tell us a little bit about Fred Laswell. I mean, my gosh, that man, it was a walking history of comics. He was, I mean, he was, he was such a creative genius. Um, and not only was he, he just a, car, a cartoonist, but he was also, uh, an inventor of products. Um, he, you know, had been an assistant to Billy DeBeck, the cartoonist who created uh, the Barney Google strip uh, in 1919. Uh, and he had done, you know, so many other things. He had a line of children's videos uh, and a DVD uh, <laughs> that he created. So he was he was really somebody that was ahead of his time, uh, especially when it came to technology. Well, and and it and very creative too because he came. If I understand correctly, he came up with the character of Snuffy Smith, right? It was his addition to the strip, right? He, he started uh, in the con working as an assistant to DeBeck uh, in the year that uh, they brought on uh, Snuffy Smith when they added him as as a character in the thirties, um, and he really was the one that. You know, when DeBeck passed away and, and Fred inherited the strip, he was really the one that that then developed the character of Snuffy Smith uh, into the um, and and the strip itself in, into the strip that it, it became, you know, with the focus kind of shifting from uh, Barney Google to Snuffy Smith and, and the mountains of of Hoot and Holler in that in that community. Right. And it's kind of a, a it was a big swing, but in a lot of ways. 
I mean, really, Fred Laswell is the person who defined then the the Snuffy Smith strip, as it were. Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's really his vision that um, not so much Billy DeBeck, who was really focused primarily on Barney Google and Sparkplug and and the world of racing and all of that. Um, right. Uh, Fred Laswell had had a different set of interests. W- was Fred Laswell from or did he have experience with Appalachia and the hillbilly country and all of that kind of thing? Or was it just purely from his imagination? Well, I think uh, he lived in, I think he would say, the foothills of, of uh, uh Missouri when he was younger and um you know he was a he he had creative phrases I think he kind of called himself a hayseed but he really (laughs) wasn't um but he uh, then also lived in in Tampa um and the way he actually came to work for Billy DeBeck he was working uh he was just 17 years old and he had created a poster which I believe was for like the uh, Chamber of Commerce event. And Billy DeBeck was in town playing golf and happened to see this poster and really liked the artwork on the poster um, and got in touch with Fred and um, actually interviewed Fred uh, about being his assistant and then asked Fred if he had any lettering that he was really looking for somebody to do some lettering and um, at that point, I think in the samples, Fred didn't have a whole lot of lettering. So we went home, like worked through the night, um, showed Billy some of his lettering the next day. Billy really liked it, hired him as his assistant. Um, and Fred even, besides just being an assistant uh, to the cartoonist, he lived with them. He traveled with him. Um, and and. Billy kind of got an interest uh, there in the in the uh, 30s um, with the hillbilly culture in, in Appalachia. And um, that was the same year that Fred came onto the strip. So Fred accompanied him and they went on a, a journey up into the Appalachian Mountains, uh, taking uh, notes and making sketches. And um, so that that's kind of how that that all began. Wow. So I wonder what it was that spurred Billy DeBeck into thinking about hillbilly country and, and Appalachia and the mountains and all of that. I know in the, in that era, there was, it's kind of interesting from a sociological perspective, I suppose, in that particular era, era depression era, just out of the depression era, there's kind of an interest in that world. Little Abner focused on that kind of world. And, and I think there were other cultural artifacts that come from that period that were sort of focused on uh, the world, that hillbilly world, whether it was to lampoon it or whatnot. Maybe it had something to do with industrialization and, you know, growing divide between the areas. But I wonder what it was that drew Billy DeBeck to that uh, culture as a subject matter. It, um, it, It strikes me as kind of odd after what he'd been doing with Barney Google all those years. Uh, yeah, I don't know what developed his fascination. I don't know if he could, if he could see the, the future that maybe that was going to be something that people would really be interested in. I'm not sure, but he he did start to have a, a fascination with uh, Appalachia, and that's kind of where it all started. 
Yeah, it's it, it's really interesting, you know, because Barney Google was one of the most popular characters of the 20s. Uh, popular music, uh, sure. popular songs about Barney Google with the Google Google mm-hmm. eyes and all of that stuff. It's kind of interesting. It reminds me sort of in a way, it's, it, I don't know, it'd be like Elsie Seeger putting away Popeye and moving on to a, another character or maybe in a sense it's like lz seeger dropping what was olive oil's brother's name oh gosh but um castor oil yeah (laughs) that figures yeah leaving castor oil because castor oil had been the star of the strip and then he moved on to popeye and i guess that's kind of what happened with barney google uh you know right yeah i um i guess that's what happened and all i could think is maybe uh, maybe he felt i think at the time maybe uh barney google had sort of reached the height of uh-huh. his fame, maybe the height of his early fame with uh, Barney and Sparkplug, and I think it was, you know, maybe starting to to wane a bit and go down. So maybe he saw this avenue as another way to make uh, the strip resurge again. Sure, sure. Yeah, new characters, new blood, new new point of view. And then, you know, for all these years now, I mean, how many years? Wow, since 1942. Uh, and Snuffy came along a little bit before that. Um, wow, that's a long, long time. Uh, mm-hmm. and obviously, it worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> it worked. And um, and Snuffy is still popular today. And so I want to get back to Fred Laswell for a minute, but uh, in a minute. But like, what do you think is the underlying reason for Snuffy's continued popularity? What is it you think he represents to people and hoot and holler and that culture what what do you think that that why does its appeal continue at over you know 70 80 years um to me uh, i think that the real appeal uh the true appeal of of this comic strip probably as well as any successful comic strip is uh i think it lies in the characters and and of course almost all these characters were created before me so i can't uh take any credit for that but i can try my best to stay true to to the character um and to me that's that's the secret uh it's a it's a comfortable set of characters that uh people enjoy uh spending time with every day they want to check in with uh every day uh, maybe it's a, a flashback to a simpler time um when the when your days uh get hectic or something it's a it's a look back a little bit um but I, I would say all in all to me, it's it's the characters that inhabit the strip that um, that make people really enjoy enjoy the comic. At one point, it was well in well over a thousand papers. It's still doing well. It's still I mean, I've always, it's always been in my local paper here and it seems to be pretty much everywhere I pick up a newspaper that's got a comic section. Yes, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's still very successful in, in uh, hundreds of papers and. And online clients around the world, um, which is it's pretty amazing. Um, it's actually this is a bit of a tangent, but it's very popular in the country of Norway. Um, and I actually do a special Christmas comic book every. It comes out every November. It's not really Christmas themed, but the cover is Christmas themed um, uh-huh. for the country of Norway. Um, don't ask me how Snuffy says bodacious in Norwegian or, or anything, but it's a uh, it's very very popular there as, as well in as well as in uh, lots of other countries, and um, it's uh, just a blessing to to get to be a part of it. Well, that's amazing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what it means to Norwegians, I don't know, but um, to, yeah, 
it's, I don't know, but it's uh, essentially what they do is um, every year, um, I think it's in November, I actually just finished this year's cover, but I create a new cover for the comic strip and I mean for the comic book and it has a uh, it has a Christmas theme usually on the cover and and then the inside is uh, all reprints in color of of uh, Barney Google and Snuffy Smith Sunday pages. Okay, um, so it's it's a neat little neat little book that they do each year. Well, it's interesting. I know also that um, speaking of strips that are popular overseas, I I have a there's a friend of mine on Instagram, Henrik Rare, who did some work for a paper that I published a couple of years ago and is a very successful illustrator, uh, does Beetle Bailey illustrations for a Beetle Bailey magazine that's published in Sweden. Right. And uh, and it seems to be very popular there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. Is, I've heard. Yeah. Beetle Bailey is very popular there. That's, isn't that interesting? Uh, so what the appeal is to different cultures, why one character resonates. You know, Snoopy is huge in Tokyo. There's mm-hmm. a Snoop, Snoopy museum that just opened up in Tokyo. Right. And, I, I saw that on Instagram. Right, yeah. And and so, there, you know, Snuffy is in Norway and, and Beetle Bailey is in Sweden. And who the heck knows why? But know. uh, <laughs> whatever, it's great, you know. It's that's because, right. I'm just thankful that, it, yeah, that it's, we should all be thankful that they are. So that that's really neat. Well, you know, in the United States, we tend to think that we're the world. You get this myopic view of the world. It's only when you travel abroad that you realize different cultures have different points of view that are equally valid, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, and so what we may not celebrate here in Snuffy Smith, you know, maybe a comic book wouldn't fly here, but over there it flies because there's something of enduring appeal that really reaches that audience. And and maybe you're right too. It has something to do with a simpler time because all of the craziness that surrounds us and, and the idea of characters that live in a world that seems without time and sometime sure. previous to our own, but a world that seems remote, untouched by mm-hmm covid or untouched by politics untouched by all of the tribulations of the modern world it's a it's an escape right. in a way mm-hmm. and i think that's part of what the appeal is for for snuffy let's talk a little bit more about fred laswell because uh you must have gotten to know him fairly well over the course of time that you worked with him i mean like i said he's he was a walking history uh, in a, in a lot of ways of the comic strip world he lived through it all pretty much and outlived charles schultz and was working right up to the end right and and so did fred laswell write the strips as well as draw them um yes Mm -hmm. he did uh well i i'll start the way i came to work for fred Mm -hmm. um as as his assistant i uh i was at a meeting of the national cartoonist society um this was in 1998 and i was talking with a friend who um, was working, he was an editorial cartoonist, but he was also working as an assistant on the Blondie comic strip. And I really didn't know uh, at that point that a lot of comic strip cartoonists used assistants. And I thought maybe this would be a neat way. I've always wanted to work on a comic strip, and uh, that was always my lifelong dream. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe this would uh, be an opportunity I could try to explore. So on the I was, uh, it was a Rubens uh, weekend and on our way home, uh, I talked to my wife, uh, about, uh, you know, what I'd heard and talking with my friend that was working on Blondie and 
you know, I, I thought about it and really the first comic strip I thought of was uh, Snuffy Smith. Um, I'd grown up reading it. It was my grandfather's uh, favorite comic strip. It was it was one that, would, I don't know, like you said, it everywhere you went, you just kind of always saw it. And um, so I kind of worked up uh, some samples when I got home. I, I drew some character, some uh, drawings of the characters. Um, I um, did a sample Sunday comic strip. And then I sent that along with my other uh, work, some other work, like some books, some other things uh, to Fred Laswell. And, and I didn't know Fred, but as a member of the Cartoonist Society, the National Cartoonist Society, I had his address, his, his mailing address. So I mailed these samples to him. And uh, I guess a couple of weeks had gone by. Well, you know, as, as a cartoonist, um, you get a lot of rejection. And, mm-hmm. you know, Fred, like you said, he was a he was like a, a legend in our field, you know, mm-hmm. one of the luminaries um, uh, for certain of the time. And so. I figured I probably wouldn't hear back from him, or if I did hear back, um, you know, it would be kind of a thanks, but no thanks sure. um, uh, letter. But it was about two weeks later, and I was uh, at home eating lunch. I even remember I was eating uh, I was eating a bowl, a nutritious lunch, a bowl of Cocoa Puffs. Um, and uh, the phone rang. I answered the phone, and... Um, the voice on the other end, you know, said, uh, John, this is, uh, this is Fred Laswell. And I kind of like choked on my cocoa puffs. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, he said, I got the pack of the samples that you sent me. And I really like the way you draw big noses um, <laughs> word for word. That's, that's what he said. And, you know, he was, he was just so comfortable, you know, talking about, it. he was just had a funny way of talking. He was just a funny guy all, all the way around. And uh, it kind of, uh, I guess, to make a long story short, that that call um, ended up uh, it ended up he needed uh, somebody to be his inking assistant. Uh, And, you know, this is just a cold call. I just, you know, had sent those to him uh, out of the blue and um, he liked my work. Um, He ended up hiring me to be his inking assistant. And and like you said, he he um, wrote the strip. And then he would write it. He, he wrote the strip and then he sketched it out um, and then he faxed it to me. And then I would take what he sent me and then I would take that. Then I would ink it. And like I said, he had a font. He had given me his font. So I would uh, ink it, letter it with his font, um, scan it back in, in, into the computer and, and email it back to him for uh, if he had corrections. He'd send it back to me on the fax, you know marked up, you know, correct this, correct that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, but then once it was approved, then he would, you know, he approved it and then would send it on to, uh, the syndicate in New York city. But, um, he was, he was so much into technology, especially, uh, back then, you know, it didn't matter to him that he lived in Florida and I lived in Virginia, you know, the syndicates, uh, syndicate was in, uh, New York city. Um, it didn't it didn't bother him uh he would i went down to see him um several times during the course of the, the time that i worked for him but almost every day i would get uh phone calls emails you know we, we talked basically that way or definitely faxes 
had a mm-hmm. lot of faxes. So, so when you got a faxed comic, you took it. Would you? Did you? Did you? You didn't use that to work on top of you. Lightboxed it no, or something. I had a. Uh, he actually uh, got me a copier. I had a copier here. He said that would be something important that I would need. So I would take his sketch that he had faxed, and you know, or the comic strip he had faxed, uh, and I would enlarge it um, mm-hmm. on the copier. And then I would work from that sketch um, to then do the inking and then do the lettering. So you would enlarge it and photocopy it onto just regular old copy paper and draw on top of that? or you, you If I needed to make, most of the time I would um, ink, you know, just draw it on Bristol board uh, after I enlarged. And I would draw what he had, the, his rough sketch, I oh, would, you I know, see. flesh it out. Sometimes I'd send it back if I had a question or he'd send it back to me if something was incorrect, you know, he had, he was, he was funny. You know, if he, if he really liked it, you know, he'd say something like, you know, this is fine as like, this is fine as a frog's hair. Or, uh, <laughs> if he, uh, if he, you know, if, if I made a mistake, you know, he'd say like, uh, have you been looking out the window again or you know, <laughs> stop looking out the window, um, you know, pay attention to this or that. And, mm-hmm. and so what, what? he, he was a great teacher. He was he was a really good friend to me and, and a great teacher. A couple of thoughts come to mind simultaneously. One is that, is that, you know, I've spoken to a couple of folks the last couple of weeks, Marcus Hamilton and Ron Ferdinand from Dennis the Menace. Uh, both, great, great guys, yeah. They are great guys, really, really nice. And both of whom took a shot in the dark. And I have to say, it really restores your faith when you hear stories like yours and like theirs where you know you you just took a shot in the dark you took uh-huh. you did some drawings you sent them off and lo and behold you got a response and right. how often does it, it now the real reality is that doesn't happen very often but it can happen and the right. fact that it can happen should should you know offer some solace and hope to all of us who who uh, struggle in anonymity and hope to uh, score a big hit or a comic strip someday you just never know Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I always figured, I mean, I submitted uh, my own comic strips too to many syn- to syndicates over time. Uh, and I just always figured, I guess the worst thing they can do is say no. Yeah. And then, you know, I just move on from that. Yeah. And, and that's what you do. You have to move on from it and not let it, not let it thwart you in any way. Cause it's just part of everyday life and it, it right. But the only way to do to succeed is not only to be trained and have the the tools and ready to go, but to keep trying, keep swinging at the, you know, I hate to do the baseball analogy, but, you know, keep, <laughs> keep stepping up to the plate. Right. You got to keep mm-hmm. doing it. Right. And, uh, exactly. You guys are, are absolute proof that it works out. What kinds of things would Fred Laswell, you know, find that that were problematic in what you were doing? I mean, what what kinds of uh little things bothered him um well of course getting the characters to look um exactly right um you know i remember one time you know he he said like i've noticed over the last couple over the last week you've been drawing louise's nose a little bit too big um you know i might be the only one that notices that but you know, we need to, you know, let's correct it now. So mm-hmm. I'd work on that. I remember, uh, the socks, like snuffy socks, um, the little stripes in his socks having to leave them. I didn't, at first I didn't know I filled them in all the time. And he's like, you know, no, we've got to, 
leave them open, uh, leave them white on Sundays because we need to color them mm-hmm. in red. Um, so it was usually little things. Um, you know, there there were times if you know if I made a mistake, you know he he let me know that you know I'd I'd made a mistake, but he was always fine the next day. You know, he mm-hmm. he just had a, a really great personality. So it was mostly just about getting, making sure the proportions were correct and the character stayed on model, as we say in English. Right. right? The, especially the faces and the hands. Yeah. yeah sure. Those were really important. Very, yeah. He had a very distinct way of drawing faces and noses. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, the noses for, for Snuffy Smith are all pretty much unique to Snuffy, you know? And right. Just kind of mostly all are just big bulbous type noses <laughs> they, certainly, <laughs> they certainly are i think you know it's a surprise not one of them's had a nose job but um, yeah that's right i think that's, i have I, to write that down as an idea for the future <laughs> <laughs> yeah right uh yeah wheezy goes for a nose job that would be something uh, anyway did you ever get into talking about his uh his early years with billy DeBeck or uh any of uh, working with billy DeBeck or or other cartoonists or the world of cartooning uh, or, or working far apart like you did most of the time just didn't really offer the opportunity we didn't talk a whole lot. We did talk some on some of the times that, that I would go down there. Um, I remember, uh, you know, he would say, you know, well, he told me, like I said, that, that he, you know, lived with Billy and traveled a lot with Billy, um, wherever, wherever he went. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember, uh, him saying that, uh, Billy DeBeck would kind of, he would kind of sketch out, just kind of do like a rough sketch uh, of the strip and then just kind of jump right into it um, with inking. And um, I don't know, I'm not that way at all. So to me, that kind of, uh, you know, that, that really surprised me. I have to really, you know, think it out and get it drawn out pretty well before I get into my inking and, uh, and everything. Although I do use a lot of whiteouts to me, that's, that's a very important tool. Oh, you, you, there are areas where you feel like you've overdrawn or overinked something and you just want right. to clean it up. Yeah. Well, you know, and I mean, one of the things about Snuffy Smith is the, is absolutely, you know, pristine in terms of the line work and the use of black and white. I mean, it's very, very clear. Uh, it, it does have a very unique, I agree with you, especially the black and white. I think it helps it really stand out on the page. Oh, absolutely. Uh, between Billy and Fred, the way they used uh, the negative space and the positive space was, was pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's very well designed and, and very strong in black and white. And I'm looking at your book, um, Snuffy Smith and His Sunday Best here. And, oh, well, thank you. And it pops. I mean, the black and white really pops on the page here. It really looks good. And, you know, that has to do with the, you know, intelligent use of black and white and positive and negative space. And boy, it sure does it really well because these, these really sing off the page. They're oh, really- thanks. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you taking the time to look at it. Oh, absolutely. It. Yeah, sure. It's, you know, it's a lot of fun and, uh, and, you know, continues to be fun. I mean, the characters are a lot of fun and, and, uh, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons now that it, for its longevity, um, so you're writing the strip as well as as drawing it, and penciling it, and you're doing the whole ball of wax yourself. Um, yes, I have had over the years, the, over the 20, 20 years, I guess, I've had two other 
people um, help me with the writing. One has since retired, and one uh, one still sends um, still sends gags. So um, I do I do all the drawing, some of the writing, um, and you know basically that's kind of how, how it works. I do have one one person that submits ideas. Sure. Every now and again, you know, you you find you you're dry that day and you need a an idea and somebody's and, and it's good to have a reservoir. Um, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, particularly when you're continuing a strip and it's you know a legacy strip. And I think that it just makes a lot of sense because particularly kind of gags that are in some sense like it's rare that the narrative moves moves forward in in these strips like Dennis and, and your strip there's the world is sort of set and things don't right. change so if things aren't changing you know it's really i would find that really hard to write for for any length of time um i kind of think of it uh i guess i kind of think of of the comic strip that, um it's in its own i guess if, if this makes any sense it's in its own space but it's in our time i don't know, i don't know if that makes sense but that's kind of how i i try to think of it for example uh, the characters may comment on something in general, like a recession or something like that, but they're never going to get real specific with with our time. That's kind of the way I think about it when I when I try to. Yeah, they sort of exist in a snow globe kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so within the snow globe, there there's a certain set of uh, rules by which the universe works. And so you don't mess with those rules. And every now and again, there's a reflection of something that that is seen from the outside world. But it's really no more than that. Mm-hmm. So, that, yeah, so I like, that's a great description. I like that. <laughs> well, so in that way, you can sort of touch upon things, but never really say anything or do anything that sort of puts it out of sync with like uh, any other time. So we can go back. Um, we're reading the book you put out in 2018, Snuffy Smith and his Sunday Best. Back and read that. It's not out of sync with today because the world of Snuffy just doesn't doesn't change. True. And that's like it is for a lot of comic strips, for Hagar the Horrible or for right. Dennis the Menace or whatnot. Um, that's the goal, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Create that kind of universality. Uh, that, right. I, I agree. Always relatable. Yeah. So, John, tell, um, tell us a little bit then about what it felt like to take over that strip when fred laswell passed away i mean you'd been training for it and then but all of a sudden it was all yours it was um basically kind of uh i guess the way it the way it all happened um after fred passed away jay kennedy who was a a a great editor at, at king features um he contacted me and you know he offered me an audition, you know, and I, I didn't know at the time. He just said he'd like me, you know, would I like to try out to do the comic strip? And I said, sure. And I didn't know at the time that he was also um, auditioning other people, too. Um, oh. But I I did my samples uh, that he had, you know, he asked me to send him a certain amount of, of work. And and I did. And he liked it. And he said, so I, I was on cloud nine that, you know, he liked it. And then he said, I'm, I'm also um, auditioning a couple other people, but he said, I'll get back to you um, next week. And we were actually going on a family vacation uh, that week. And 
um, this was like, this was 2001. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a cell phone or anything then. So I told him I'd be out of town and he said, um, well, just check in with me from time to time next week. So we went to Myrtle beach in uh, South Carolina. And basically anytime we went anywhere throughout the day, I'm running from like payphone to payphone <laughs> to call the office just to check in. Cause you know, this yeah. is like what I really wanted, you know, I guess it'd been my dream ever for as long as I could remember. And, um, so I spent a lot of time, uh, at payphones, uh, that week of vacation, but then near the end of the week, I think it was a Thursday, um, he finally, uh, I got a hold of him and it was actually, uh, back at our, our place and, uh, back at the, the house we were staying in for vacation, the condo. And, um, you know, he said, that he really liked my work and, you know, he'd like to, he actually, I guess the way he described it, he told me that I had a very friendly line for the characters. Uh, uh -huh. I guess he liked my inking line or uh, the way I drew the characters. Um, and he said he'd like to hire me to, uh, to continue the comic strip on. And then, like you said, then it was just, I was really excited. I was really excited, you know, that night, but then, you know, the next morning you wake up and you're like, wow, these are such big shoes to fill. Um, <laughs> but it, from the time, you know, they hired me and, um, I've always had the support of, uh, you know, uh, initially Jay Kennedy and then the other editors, uh, after him, everybody's uh, been great to work for, great to work with. And, um, it was overwhelming at first, but it, it also, um, also felt like a sense of not duty, but a, but a sense that I really wanted to carry on, you know, what I had learned from Fred and uh, keep the comic strip consistent with what it had been in the past. And so we could maintain our fans. And um, so it, it was overwhelming, but it was also, you know, the biggest, uh, the greatest joy of my professional life for, for sure. And it has remained remarkably consistent, I think, um, over the years. Well, right? Did Fred leave any instructions for Jay Kennedy or for King? Uh, I mean, did he say anything to them about, look, John's been working on the strip for, for these few years here, and I think he'd be a great guy to take over the strip. Do you know if, if there was any? I, I don't know. I don't know if he ever said that. I've, oh. I've, I've, I don't know that. Um, I know. Um, you know, the people at King Features knew that I had been assisting, but I guess they also knew other people that must have been interested, too, because, like I said, other people had auditioned as well. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I That'd be great if, if Fred said that, I, but I don't know if he did. But um, did you, you know, I, I, I'm reminded of this, the Prince Valiant story, right, where um, Hal Foster... Uh, tried out a number of artists before he decided on John Cullen Murphy. Uh, and every now and again, if you go online, you get to see, you know, some of those tryout runs like by Wally Wood or some of the other folks who tried out. I can't remember who else tried out for it. Um, but I've seen Wally Woods and I love Wally Wood stuff. But boy, I, I just felt like Wally Wood wasn't wasn't the right guy. And when you look at John Cullen Murphy's stuff, you know he's you know, he's the guy that 
Foster's going to choose when you you look at those samples. I think in one of my my Prince Valiant collections, as a matter of fact, I got to go back and look now. Uh, there's a selection. So I wonder who else tried out for Snuffy Smith and what their work looked like. Um, yeah, I've, 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 I really have no idea. Yeah, um, because you because mentioned that. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Cullen, did, have you ever read Cullen Murphy's uh, book, Cartoon oh. County? Oh my gosh, I love Talking that. About book. all the cartoonists around. Yes. Uh, what is that, Fairfield County in Connecticut? Yeah. yeah. Did you oh, read that? That's a great lo- book. Isn't that a great book? Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful. Real joy. And and actually, I wanted to, I wanted to get uh, his his son on the show. I wanted to get Colin Murphy on the show um, to talk about it. But he was he's an editor at the Atlantic, and he was just he's just too busy. Uh, okay. You know, it it would have been great because I really uh, I loved that book. I just loved mm-hmm. it. it. It was sweet, nostalgic. It was filled with lots of great detail, and I. I got to tell you, when I looked at uh, the samples or the sketches that that Hal Foster did for John Cullen Murphy uh, in preparation for doing, you know, this week or the next week or whatever, uh, until he finally gave it up. Those those sketches he did were. Could you believe those? They were almost as detailed as the final illustrations. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're right. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. I was just. He just kept going, but you know that that's one of my all-time favorite comic strips. But that that was uh, just that's just a great book. And for those of you who are uh, who've never picked it up out there in in listener land, Cartoon County by by Cullen Murphy is a <laughs> wonderful wonderful book. And uh, if you love, I, I did have the pleasure actually uh, trying to think if it was it was a year or two ago. Um, Thomas Yates, who's uh, drawing Prince Valiant now. Uh-huh. actually came to speak uh, at a college uh, nearby me here in Virginia. And uh, one of the people, actually, uh, one of the professors that brought him in asked me if I would come speak as well. So I, I do a lot of like Snuffy Smith chalk talks, I guess is what I, is what I call them. And so I did mine. And then uh, when I was finished, he did his. And it was it was wonderful just to, <laughs> to hear all about Prince Valiant and the history and then see his work and and everything i really enjoyed it yeah it's it's uh it's quite i'm sure it was quite interesting you know the history um and and fanographics is just doing such a wonderful job with that uh, line of reprints it's just magnificent they're they're, i wish they were bigger uh you know like the old comic strip pages but uh that's okay they're still beautiful and it's it's so nice to see i mean among reprints of comic strips they're among the best that i've i've gotten my collection that i've ever seen they're just so lushly illustrated and so lovingly recreated on the page in those books so that's pretty cool before you started working with fred laswell and on snuffy smith and barney google you had a career of your own as an editorial cartoonist, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about that work and your, you know, um, the trajectory that led you into comics and cartooning and doing that kind of work. You want me to go all the way back to the beginning? <laughs> hey, why not? Sure. We got time. <laughs> I, can, I can do that. Um, I don't remember this, but my parents say when, when I was very, very young, um, we were traveling somewhere and I asked my mom if she would draw something for me. And she said, what do you want me to draw? And I asked her to, to, uh, 
if she would draw a man. And she drew a little stick figure and handed it back to me. And uh, and I said, that's not a man. <laughs> and she said, we'll draw your own. And she said, I did. And, and I've just been drawing ever since. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it, I guess it all started. I, uh, I, I then went on to, I guess I was always drawing. And when I was in fifth grade, well, let's see. I'll tell these two stories because I know you're you're a teacher, and this shows two instances where I think teachers were really important in my life. Um, when I was in fifth grade, it was a rainy weekend, and I told my parents um, I was going to go upstairs in my room and write a book. And I'm sure they were just happy to get me out of their hair for the weekend. <laughs> um, so they said, "Go ahead and." I went up anyway, I, I wrote this book and it was called Casey the Canine. And um, I guess my parents must have liked it because they actually told my fifth grade teacher about it. And she told the principal at the school about it. And I guess they liked it. I, I wrote and illustrated it. And they decided that the school would publish the book. Wow. And like this was in the days I'm 50, almost 57 um, these were in the days of mimeograph machines. Sure. I don't know if you remember what that is, but of course I do. I'm a little <laughs> older than you. <laughs> I don't know if the book, uh, read very well, but it smelled great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, uh, yeah. The, uh, incidentally on the cover, I should send you a picture of the cover that the, uh, the dog looks so much like a fifth graders interpretation of Snoopy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, um, so the teacher and the principal published the book and they arranged for me to have a, a, a book signing after a PTA meeting in the school library. Oh my um, gosh. And then from that event, I made enough money that night to pay for my way to go to Boy Scout camp uh, that summer. Pretty good. And which was, I guess it's technically my first paying job as a cartoonist. I, I guess so. <laughs> more importantly, it, I think it shows the importance of, you know, if your parents believe in you, if your teacher believes in you, it kind of makes you think, you know, hey, maybe someday I really can be a cartoonist. And then the second event was the ties into a teacher believing in me when I was in uh, after I graduated, like all through all through school, I drew for the school papers and drew in the margins of my test papers and stuff like that, like like every other cartoonist. But um I went to James Madison University in, in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and when I was, um, I think I was a junior, a junior or senior in, col in college, I think I was a junior, my art history professor was on a fine arts committee at JMU that was bringing in Mike Peters, the oh. Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist, to uh, speak. And this was right at the time he was launching the, uh, his successful Mother Goose and Grimm comic strip. Sure. And she told me it, it was called Fine Arts Week. I think that's what the event was. And he was the keynote speaker. So anyway, um, she got me to met with me after class one day and told me that, you know, she knew that I drew cartoons for the school paper and I always wanted to be a cartoonist. And so she um, asked me if I'd like to join the members of the committee and Mike Peters for dinner the before he spoke so I could grill him about being a cartoonist and and uh he was uh so I got to go out to dinner with him 
and and the committee. Then I got to go to his program, which was just amazing and, and really inspirational. Um, and then after that, I got to uh, show him a lot of my samples and have him critique them. And, you know, and all this, again, was just because of a, a teacher that, you know, took an interest in me. So I, I, uh, I think being a teacher, I guess in short, I'm, I'm saying is, is, is such an important job. Hey listeners, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope you're enjoying today's interview. If you are and you want to show support, head on over to my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. At Patreon, you can contribute as little as a dollar on a regular basis to ensure the longevity of this podcast. Your support will help keep it not only commercial free, but free to the listening public. And in exchange, you'll get some pretty neat stuff. There are at least three different tiers. Each level offers its own distinct rewards. So check it out today at patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N. Any amount is welcome, and your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks again, and that's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. And anyway, so when I look back that night, I think is it was an important turning point for me, maybe as a young cartoonist, because sure. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But after seeing Mike's presentation and then talking with him, he's a real animated guy and mm-hmm. real friendly, real funny. And then, you know, we've stayed in touch, you know, ever since. Well, and cr- and that that made me feel like I, I wanted to go into uh, newspaper cartooning. And so it, it took me a little while. I graduated from college in 1986, and then I did some freelance work for a couple years, and then I got on with the uh, a newspaper chain in, in 1988, which was uh, Bird Newspapers, and, and I started out at a small paper for them, and I was like a creative director and an editorial cartoonist, and then as I got... I see that was about five for about five years. I worked there at the Warren Sentinel was the name of the newspaper. And then uh, they promoted me to the Daily News Record in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So Mm -hmm. I worked as an editorial cartoonist and creative director. And pretty much as time went on, my job began to focus more and more on doing editorial cartoons. So I did a lot of editorial cartoons for them. And then uh, it was it was a great, a great way. I met a lot of other cartoonists through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to meet uh, Jeff McNally. Oh, uh, I joined the National Cartoon Society uh, yeah. when I was, you know, doing that. And uh, and then I still um, in 2001, when I started drawing uh, Snuffy full time, um, I still would part time send them uh, cartoons, editorial cartoons. But I decided, you know, I wanted uh, Snuffy to be my main focus at that mm-hmm. point. But it was, yeah, it, it all worked out and it, it was great. Yeah, it sounds like a seamless transition in a lot of ways. I've never seen your editorial cartoons, so I'd, I'd be curious to see what they look like in contrast to the style you adopted for Snuffy Smith. Because like a lot of great illustrators, uh, you can move from one that st- you've moved from one style to another style. Was there similarities between what you were doing on your own and Snuffy Smith, or did you, you have to adapt and, and sort of conform to Fred Was- Laswell's kind of approach? Now I would say my, there are similarities I would think, but they're between the editorial cartoons and, and Snuffy Smith and style and my style, but, but it, 
it is basically a, a totally different style. That was probably the biggest, one of the biggest challenges I had was learning to draw the snuffy characters after many years of, um, you know, drawing in my own style. Um, yeah. And I used prop, I probably did everything pretty much in, uh, with the editorial cartoons. I do everything more, uh, in like a brush and I still use a brush some on snuffy, but I also use a variety of different type pens and I use those micron pens. Yeah. Yeah. In different yeah. sizes. Sure. Um, but so it, it, they are different in style. But well, I, in my editorial cartoons, I, I always use humor too. I'm not, I won't, I'm not a real hard hitting guy. I never really have been a real hard hitting kind of person. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's, you know, editorial cartooning is, is its own animal. When you worked for the paper, did you have to, usually an editorial page has a point of view, you know, one way or the other. Did you have to adapt or rather adopt their point of view or was it just fortunate that they coincided or, you know, uh, were you, were you assigned topics or did you come up with topics on your own? Pretty much everything is I come up with on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, and then most of the time, uh, opinions coincided probably pretty much but they never really killed anything they, i mean they did kill stuff from time to time but but uh nothing that bad i guess for for disagreeing i just go back mm-hmm. to the drawing board and, and do something else um, and, and what kind of turnaround time did you have in terms of, of putting together a cartoon was it like you know last minute notice or did you th- i mean sometimes i would think it would be right um it was right. It was sometimes last minute notice. Usually it was usually it's uh, two days, a day to two ahead of time. But sometimes something would break in the news. Right. And they'd want something for the next day. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you'd have, what, a couple of hours or something to put to mm-hmm. boy, boy, the pressure. I mean, I can imagine that pressure can be really exciting, too, because, uh, you know, somebody wants your work and they want it now. That That's a great motivator. Right. <laughs> Especially when it's your job. So that's that's great. So you did that for a number of years before giving it up and moving on to doing uh, Snuffy. Now, you know, Snuffy Smith is this very, very clean. The word I used before was pristine, and it really is pristine. And there's a, uh, you know, despite the fact that you're using Micron pens, the line is really beautiful in, in well, Snuffy. thank you. You know, it's really nice and, uh, and it, it holds together when you were doing edit- editorial cartooning, you know, usually it's a one panel kind of thing. Right. And a lot of times, uh, like somebody like McNeely or Mike Peters or others, you know, they get into the illustration and into the, you know, doing the cross hatching and things of that nature. Were you, did you do that kind of thing in your editorial cartoons or did you kind of leave it clean? I, I would say um, probably a, a combination, a little bit of both. Probably uh, they were more simple in style for sure than Jeff McNelly. And, um, but I still would use some pretty bold brush strokes and a, um, some techniques with the brush. I still do editorial cartoons, you know, still occasionally. Do you know Charlie Daniel? He's an editorial cartoonist in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I know uh, his cartoons are fairly simple. And I would say mine, like in design, on, on purpose, they're designed that way. And I would say mine were probably designed that way, too. But mm-hmm. also because I was also a creative director at the same time, a lot of times I didn't have the time to as much time as, you know, like a whole day to really spend on something. Sure. So sometimes they had to be simple. Right. Right. So but then, you know, that 
open up doors by facilitating your your acceptance into the National Cartoonist Society. And through right. the National Cartoonist Society, you, you know, opportunities came, such as reaching out to, to Fred. But um, did you have any opportunities to meet any of your heroes at any of those National Cartoonist uh, meetings? I did. Um, probably the, uh, one of my biggest heroes I've had the opportunity to meet and get to know um, besides Mike Peters, I got to know um, Mort Walker and then uh-huh. his sons uh, also was as well. I, um, and that that was a, a real joy to, to get to know Mort. Of course, I don't know if Marcus mentioned Marcus Hamilton and I have become great friends and, and Ron Ferdinand. And mm-hmm. um, we all met through the National Cartoon Society. And uh, one a person that I'd grown up reading a lot in Virginia uh I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Brookins. He was an editorial cartoonist in for the Richmond Times Dispatch in Richmond, Virginia. He's gone on after he uh, stopped editorial cartooning. I think actually even when he was editorial cartooning, he uh, began to draw shoe and pluggers oh. with Jeff McNelly. And then after Jeff McNelly passed away, but he's he's a great cartoonist and, and a great friend. And I, I got to know him. Another one initially, right when I graduated from college. I got to meet um, two people that really kind of helped me out, too, along the way. Brant Parker, oh, the Wizard of Id, uh-huh. just turned out by chance that one of my really good friends in college, her brother lived next door to Brant Parker. <laughs> and it was only about, he only lived about 20 minutes from where I lived uh, after I graduated from college. And where was so that? I lived in Manassas, Virginia, and he was in Centerville, Virginia. Okay, yeah. Um kind of all in the uh, suburbs of Washington, D.C. Brant was actually the one that nominated me or supported my nomination with a letter, of, I guess you'd say a recommendation uh, for the National Cartoon Society membership. But he was a, such a wonderful man, uh, and he was really busy as a cartoonist. So sometimes when people would contact him, if he was really busy or too busy to do something, he would, you know, send them my way. So that was really nice and really, really sweet of him to do. And I got a few jobs out of that. And again, just by chance, I got to meet again. It was a friend of mine in college. Her brother was really good friends with Bill Reckon, who did Croc, the comic strip. Oh, Croc. yeah, that sure. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Croc, yep. And he lived in northern Virginia, too. Um, so I got to meet him and uh, I, I didn't really ever work with Bill, but I got to meet him and became friends with him. As as a matter of fact, the last the last Rubens uh, weekend, the National Cartoon Society Rubens weekend that I, when Fred Laswell was alive, he had called me about to see if we could get a table together with uh, Bill Reckon, myself and my wife, Karen, and um, uh-huh. he and his wife, Shirley, and then um, and Bill. And, and then, uh, you know, we had, he told me he was planning to do that. And then actually Fred passed away, but um so Bill, Bill became a, a great friend too. So I, it's kind of neat how things just kind of happen sometimes. Oh yeah, sure. And, and it's wonderful, you know, to be admitted into that circle of people and, and start meeting your idols and, and, um, mm-hmm. things like that. But, uh, it's, in, it was, it's nice to hear that about Brant Parker. Um, I grew up in this area uh, where Johnny Hart lived for many right. years, came from. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, uh, did he was you know BC and he worked with Brant Parker a bit. I don't know exactly what he did on the Wizard of Id. Um, you know, apparently it was Parker and Hart. But what Hart did, I on that I that strip, I it's never really been clear to me how the division of labor. What, what was kind of interesting to me though was that Brant Parker and Johnny Hart shared a similar cartooning style. That's uh, true. I, I agree. Yeah. You know, very similar. And it's kind of neat. I, I loved the way both of them drew. I, and and it's not really easy. It There's a quality about it that seems offhand, you know, uh, mm-hmm. very loose, very, uh, it's got this offhand kind of doodly quality to it. But trying to draw like that or cartoon like that, you know, it's it's subtler than I think. A lot of folks think it, it really is. And I, I just loved Wizard of Id and, and BC growing up. Uh, I thought they were some of the most clever comic strips in the newspapers. I did get to meet Johnny Hart. I didn't I didn't know him, but I did get to meet him. And that that was an honor. I guess that's a regret I have. I never got to meet Charles Schultz. Um, I would have really loved to have gotten to meet him. Yeah, me too. But- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would. I would have loved to have met him. And I. And despite the fact that I grew up in the same town, and and uh, as Johnny Hart, and he was a hometown hero, I never got to meet him either. And um, a lot of missed opportunities there. I mean, there were there were moments where you know, I had a friend who had a friend, and I was supposed to meet him, but nothing ever worked out. So I never did get to to shake hands with him. But um, now I did well. get to spend back in. Uh, I guess it was November. We had a. National Cartoonist Society, like a regional meeting for the people in the Southeast. And I got to spend some time with um, uh, Johnny's grandson, uh, Mason. Yeah. And he's doing a, he's doing an awesome job on on, on BC and, and the Wizard. Yeah. Really nice guy. Yeah. And he does both of those trips and they do a nice job. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's great to see that they're still going strong. When we look at Snuffy Smith today... And we think about your contribution, which is, you know, going on 20 years now uh, that you've been working on the strip on your own. Um, what do you think that your contribution to this strip has been over that 20 years? When you look at your work and you look at Fred's work and you think about the strip, I mean, what do you think? What is it that you've brought to the strip that's uniquely your own? Hmm, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I uh never really have thought about that. I just, uh, I try to stay true to, to, you know, what, to Fred's work before me and then Billy's work before him. But I know over time, my style has, has crept into it. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not as adept a, dra- a draftsman as, as Fred was, but I, but I try. I, one thing I have, a change that I have made, um, I have made the characters literate. So they, they read Mm-hmm. Now, where they, they didn't read before, they'll comment occasionally on things in the newspaper. You'll see them sitting there drinking a cup of coffee and, uh, you know, looking at the newspaper. Um, people have told me that I've made Snuffy maybe a little kinder and, and gentler toward uh, to people. But I, I don't know that that's, that's necessarily true, but people have told me that. Well, but, and it also seems like you've, you've utilized Barney a little bit more. I do. I, I did. That's what I was going to say. I have brought in some characters that haven't appeared in the comic strip for, for quite a long time and reintroduced them to, to a new generation of people. The main characters, of course, are Barney and Sparkplug, but I've also brought in uh, Snuffy Smith's uh, 
father. He was out of the comic strip for quite a long, long time, and I reintroduced him, and I've brought back uh, this kind of uh, magical sort of witch uh, lady, Granny Creeps, that mm-hmm. was in the comic strip, pretty popular back in the, in the, she was popular in the 70s. But the biggest change, I think, probably that I have made is, is bringing back uh, Barney Google and Sparkplug almost to, I guess you'd say, uh, semi-regular characters. And kind of the way that all happened was, I think I mentioned a little while ago that I do a lot of Snuffy Smith chalk talks where I go and, and speak to groups. And um, inevitably, whenever I would speak to groups, at the end, I always have a question and answer session. And somebody would always ask, you know, whatever happened to Barney Google? You know, <laughs> I remember Barney Google. Of course, usually it was an older person that asked. But oh, of course. Um, yeah. So that was back in about, I think, around 2012. I talked to my editors about it at King Features. At, at that time, my editor was Brendan Burford. And, you know, I said, I get this question a lot. What would you think if we brought Barney Google and Sparkplug back for a special week? And he said, you know, that's a great idea. Go for it. So I did. And the uh, the response was just was so great. Um, people really seemed to love it. I really enjoyed doing it. It was a lot of fun to do. And. So then after that, we began to bring him back every year for like two separate, like week long visits. Mm -hmm. And then still the response was great. So now we usually do about three different weeks a year, maybe four. But last year, with it being the 100th anniversary in -hmm. 2019, we brought him back a whole lot. I would say probably for at least five weeks, maybe over the over the time frame, um, because we had a special a special centennial celebration, uh, birthday type celebration. And, uh, so I, I guess that would be a, a contribution that, that I have had to, to bring him back. It is kind of amazing. Like, uh, I had a little boy come, let me think he come to, came to visit me last year and he was probably about 10 or 11. It was, it was at a comic con, uh, here in Virginia and asked me to, you know, he asked me if I draw a character for him. And I said, yeah, who's your favorite character? And he said, Sparkplug. <laughs> and I said, really? So I, I did, but I was just like, wow. You know, he was at the most, at the most 12 years old. And um, I just thought that really surprised me. So it, that made me feel good that, that he knew the Barney Google and, and Snuffy Smith characters. Well, I, I have to tell you, uh, and, and you know this because we've talked about it before, but uh, I love Barney. I love Barney Google, and I love uh, Sparkplug. And I would mm-hmm. just love to see you do a little story that sort of, you know, like uh, you did a wonderful story for the 100th anniversary. We'll talk about that in a second because I think you must okay. have well, a lot of fun with that. But uh, I would love, to, I'm just going to throw this out there. I would love for you to do a little story that, you know, shows spark plug in his element a little bit. That would be, I mean, it would be a big change, but boy, I'd love to see that. Cause I just love that character. Right. Yeah. That, that would be fun. And you know, his birthday's coming up in a couple of years. He'll be a hundred. So maybe we'll have to do something fun for him. Wouldn't that be great. I would love yeah. to see it. Yeah. That would yeah. be so much fun. Yeah. I, I love spark plug and I love Barney Google. I love that whole, that's one of the things I love about Billy DeBeck stuff is that whole CD world that built that Barney Google lived in. Mm-hmm. There's quite a contrast from, from Appalachia and the, the world of the mountains, but, uh, and you know, but still it was interesting in and of itself, you know, as a, as a world. And I think Billy DeBeck's style was 
perfectly suited to what he was doing back then, you know. This and it's something about Barney Google with those. I just always thought he was he was such a wonderfully crafted character, like with those big round mm-hmm. eyes, you know, but his short stature and his you know big feet and I don't know. It just I just think he's a wonderfully designed character. I I yeah I I agree with you totally. Uh, he just kind of makes you smile when you when you look at him. Yeah, that's stuff he does too. But mm-hmm, uh, right. You know, but because Barney is a rarity, you know, you don't see him all that often. Just makes every time he shows up that much more special, and it it just makes you wish that you could, you know, like an old friend, you wish you could hang out with him a little bit longer. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, so um, let's let's talk about that hundredth anniversary. That was that uh, series of strips you did. So tell the audience a little bit about what you did for. Uh, snuffy and barney's 100th anniversary well um again uh, from the from those chalk talks that i would do a lot of times a question or somebody would just raise at the end they'd say you know the comic strip's going to be 100 in you know five years or 10 years you got anything planned and um so i really started thinking about it and i guess i had the idea about two years ahead of time, I kind of, or a year and a half ahead of time, maybe I started working on it. Barney Google and Snuffy Smith isn't the oldest comic strip in syndication. That that honor belongs to Gasoline Alley, and yeah. uh, Jim Scancarelli did an awesome job with telling, uh, doing a hundredth anniversary story for them in late 2000. I guess that was late 2018. But Barney Google and Snuffy Smith is the oldest comic strip in syndication in King features lineup. So I thought what I would do, I kind of came up with the idea of kind of doing a King features salute to Barney Google um, and spark plug, but then also kind of a play on the fact that a lot of people say Barney Google doesn't come around that much. Whatever happened to Barney Google, where is Barney Google? So um, the storyline essentially was that Barney Google decides he's going to come to hoot and holler to visit snuffy smith for his birthday but then on his way to go to hoot and holler he gets lost because he hadn't been there in in quite a while so by getting lost granny creeps the the witch that i mentioned earlier kind of switches some signs around and barney google and spark plug end up in all kinds of other comic strips along the way like they end up in the Popeye comic strip and they end up in uh, Blondie and uh, Mother Goose and Grimm and um, just so many other comic strips. And eventually the these other King Features characters, and I had a few that weren't King Features characters, um, but it, they, uh, they point Barney in the right direction and he finally gets to his birthday party uh, <laughs> just on time. I was about a... I think it was about a two and a half week long series. And it was just, it was probably such a joy. It was such a joy for me to create. It was, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I had so much fun uh, getting to do that. Actually in one panel of a Sunday page, I paid a little bit of tribute to uh, Charles Schultz in that. In addition, I'm trying to think, in addition to King Features characters, I did mention I paid tribute to Charles Schultz and uh, Garfield was in it. Oh yes, um, yep. but yep. for the most part, it was uh, it was all King Features characters. Well, yeah, and and it's a wonderful array of characters. I mean, we have 
uh, in one strip, Mutz, and then uh, Hagar the Horrible, and Garfield, mm-hmm. and Zippy, uh, right. which was joy to see, and mm-hmm. then you know, Shu, and um, uh, who else? Dennis the Menace, and Curtis, and just the Tinkersons, and all kinds of characters, and Popeye. It was especially so neat, because so many of these comics I've admired for years and years, and I've read for years and years and, or even if it's a newer comic strip, like the Tinkersons, I, I just think it's a great strip. So it, it was fun to get to include these characters. Oh yeah. And then some of the characters in turn, some other strips, uh, for example, like Mutt's pay tribute to Barney Google turning a hundred, uh, shoe did as well on, on the hundredth birthday on that day. Um, there was quite a few others. Dennis the menace did. Um, so that, that was really rewarding too, to see, Barney Google all over the comic pages that day. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so the response, what was the response like from the fans? It was really, it was incredible. Um, when I think back on it, that I did a special Sunday page and then the actual birthday was on Monday and the story continued, I think through Wednesday after, after the birthday but especially on that Monday, I remember coming down and the amount of emails and messages and different things that I got, I pretty much started about eight o'clock in the morning and I didn't really get up from the computer until about 11 o'clock at night. It was just <laughs> so many messages that I, that I had and emails and it was kind of like that for about two days and uh, I had done a lot of things before that for it and, and a lot after it. So it was it was really incredible. Probably one of the best experiences of my cartooning career. And I was just honored to get to be a, a part of it. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a, a thrill to be part of something that special and, and really kind of neat the way, uh, the fans and the media responded it, uh, you know, showing a kind of love for the characters and for the world of Snuffy Smith and Barney Google that, you know, you don't see an awful lot of, I mean, people don't talk a lot about it because I mean, like a lot of comic strips that are, have been around for a long time, folks just sort of take them for granted in a way. And so it's nice to see that, that kind of appreciation coming your way and, and, and your way. And also tribute, a tribute to both Billy DeBeck and Fred Laswell as well. True. That, that was one thing I really wanted to, uh, made sure that I pointed out in, in the Sunday page, I did have, uh, Barney Google and Snuffy Smith in the, in the top two panels, actually like taking their hats off, uh, in respect to, um, Billy DeBeck and, and Fred Laswell, um, I kind of copied their signatures and then had each character, you know, tip the hat, tip their hat to, to Fred and Billy. And so I really wanted to make sure to show that, you know, it's, it was definitely a, quite a team effort. So, and, and you, you, what you did was you adapted or adopted rather, um, both of their, their styles. Uh, I I tried my best. Yeah. yeah, I I tried my best. And the variation there is pretty clear. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, nice kind of thing to see, you know? So, I mean, that's great. And I, I think it was, it's just, a, a, an exciting moment in the history of the strip and nice, nice to be part of. And Hey, you know, I mean, we think about it, it's really quite remarkable. Uh, there aren't oh, there's you, right. you and gasoline alley and, and really 
not much else uh, from mm-hmm. those days. Um, from the earliest days of the newspaper comic strip. And, you know, Billy DeBeck was kind of like one of that era's, you know, real cartoonists from the early days of the newspaper and the beginnings of syndication. I mean, he was one of those guys who, uh, like Tad and Harriman and, and LZ Seagar and all of those guys, you know, he was in that group of originators and that's kind of right. And they were, they were like giant celebrities in in their time. Yep. And, and it's pretty amazing, you know, to think, Mm -hmm. uh, about the history and the the longevity. So, I mean, that's great. So do you still get, um, fan mail? Do you get people writing you and, and reaching out to you about the characters or I, I do, I get, uh, I get letters, I get emails. Um, and you know, one thing that's kind of neat, I had, I guess when I started this, when I started, you know, years ago, and, and I do get a lot of letters from older people, and I, I just kind of thought that would always be my main fan base. But then I've come to notice over time, just like I mentioned about that young boy saying Sparkplug was his favorite character. <laughs> um, when I do, like, personal appearances and different things, you know, kids will come up to me and, and tell me how much they love Tater or they, they love Jughead. Uh-huh. Um, and a few years ago, uh, let me think. No, actually, I guess this would have been two years ago. A young boy who was in fourth grade, uh, his parents contacted me and uh, let me know that in his school, they had a, it, the library in the school had a contest around Halloween that was pumpkin themed. And it was create your favorite book character out of pumpkins. And they would have a contest and the winner uh, would get a prize. And he came to know my, the Snuffy Smith character through my book collections instead of through the newspaper. So this is a young kid, like fourth grade. And he, he made an incredible design. They sent me pictures of it, of Snuffy Smith fishing out of gourds and pumpkins that (laughs) he painted and it was incredible. So just to know too, that, that you've uh, introduced young people to, to these characters and, and they've come to, to like them too. And, and they want to get in touch with you too. And, um, that's, that's very rewarding. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and it's really kind of remarkable to hear that mm-hmm. you know, the, the characters still resonate with young people, uh, yeah. and, with kids who are getting into comics maybe for the first time or come across the Snuffy Smith collection in their library or something, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're, I mean, one of the things about the comic is that it's an all ages comic and really doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, you come to the comic and get into it, whether you're just learning to read, and because most of the time it doesn't have uh, an overabundance of, of language. And, um, and, or whether you're somebody who's older, who's read the strip for years, you know, it appeals mm-hmm. to both. And that's kind of, that's a very difficult thing to do, you know, to be able to, uh, walk that tightrope and, and, uh, reach into both audiences, but you do that very well. Oh, well, thank you. It's funny. You mentioned about the, the writing I have, uh, people have asked me, you know, the characters talk in a very strong rural dialect mm-hmm. and people say, is it hard to write in that dialect? And my answer always is it's not hard to write in it, but once you've been writing and working in it all day long, it's hard at the end of the day 
to answer an email or a letter seriously. <laughs> like, you know, you don't want to reply back, you know, thank you for the email, youngin, or, you know, or something like that. <laughs> you know? I could see how that could be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, when you work with these characters, have you ever found any anything that about a character that surprised you or intrigued you or, you know, that you find some characters easier to write for than other characters? Definitely. Um, my favorite character to write for is, is Snuffy. But over time, I've really um, come to enjoy uh, Tater and Jughead a lot. I can have a lot of fun with Tater, and he's a very uh, simple character. And and uh, but but Jughead really reminds me a lot of um, myself and my brothers when we were younger, and you know we lived in at that point in the mountains of Virginia, and my parents had a farm, and you know I remember playing in the creek and fishing, and you know a lot of Jughead. Uh, reminds me of of myself and and my brothers. That's something I've I've discovered over the length of time. In I think what year was that? In 2015 or 16? Well, for years, um, Snuffy Smith had his own comic book with Charlton Comics. Oh I yes, think with, I think with Gold Key Comics and sure maybe one or two others. Um, but there was a I guess you'd say a tribute type. Uh, comic publication called Charlton Spotlight about or they feature new comics featuring old Charlton characters and they got in touch with me and with King Features um, and I did a 10 page 10 page story I think it was called Hop Along Jughead and it was a story all about Jughead and uh, a frog jumping contest and that that was so much fun um, just to kind of step out of the two panels or three panels that I have to work in every day and, and tell like a 10 page story with him. Snuffy was in it, but he was more of a minor character. It was mainly all about Jughead. And, and, uh, that was, uh, really fun for, for me to get to do. And, w- and what was that published in? It was, it's a magazine that was Charl- Charlton, Charlton spotlight. Number nine was the, wow. the, the number nine was the, the number of the publication. I'm, um, you know, I know the name Charlton Spotlight, but is that that's a current magazine? I'm kind of you you catching me off guard here with that mm-hmm. one. Uh, Charles, it was, it was a, just a few years ago, so I, I I know I know they're working on another one if they haven't had another one come out. Um, but yeah, you can still see it online, uh, Charlton Spotlight. Because um, I mean Char- Charlton went out of business a long time ago, as far as I understand. Right. You know, so I guess it's kind of a I don't know if they how they use that name. There's a couple other uh, groups that Charlton Neo, I think, is another one. Okay, Um, but yeah, I'm not sure how they got to use that name. But you're right. It's not the original Charlton like Charlton. uh, Okay, but they pay tribute to and write stories about um, Charlton comics, older Charlton comics and then cartoonists that drew for Charlton. Oh sure, of course. Yeah, and and it's sort of like one of those tomorrow's publications about comics mm-hmm. history and right. uh, alter ego and things like that. This right. book is specifically on Charlton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've never picked one of those up, but um I have heard about it because I do love those kinds of magazines and uh, boy, that would be a treat. So that was in issue number 9, huh? Yeah. I'll uh, send you a copy. I I'll be happy to send you a copy. 
All right. Uh, yeah. I have a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. I mean, um, I, you know, I think we all grew up with Charlton Comics pretty much all over the place. Uh, at least I, I don't know if how, what their distribution was like, but I lived in the Northeast, so Charlton was almost easier to find sometimes than Marvel and DC. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, they'd be sold. And Gold Key Comics were very popular when I was a right. kid. You know, I, I kind remember, of missed- I mean, I love comics, comic books as a kid and, and even now, but even when I was a kid, my favorite ones were like, uh, comic books about my favorite Saturday morning cartoon at the time, you know, or Scoop mm-hmm. you know, Yogi's laugh Olympics or Scooby-Doo or, you know, oh, the sure. Flintstones when they, you know, I, I would love, love things like that. And that, that was a neat thing about my grandmother's house. I mentioned my grandmother earlier, but when I was young, I remember her house in the small town. We spent a lot of weekends there. And I remember reading the comics and like I said, in, in her paper, but her house was like one block from the corner newsstand where you could walk and just get anything off the spinner racks, any of your favorite comic books, mm-hmm. or then two blocks the other way from the local library and where I could just check out any kind of book on how to draw cartoons that I wanted to do. So it was like a, it's like the perfect location for a for a budding cartoonist. Oh, that's that's great. Yeah, I have those kind of. I, it's interesting when you think about it. Uh, those kinds of memories of how they're your you, the ways in the that you interact or find comics and or or gravitate to them. Uh, I have similar kinds of memories myself. Um, you know, my grandmother lived in the town in the city of Binghamton we lived outside of it but we'd go visit her and a lot of times there wasn't she lived in an apartment so there wasn't a lot for me to do um so she'd give me like a quarter and I'd go out and um walk around the streets and and there was a corner store and in the corner store this guy had a few comics he didn't have a spinner rack but what he did have he had charlton comics and he had the gold key packages of three comics for whatever it was oh yeah, and, yeah. you know i love those those are among still my favorite comics ever there'd be a, a flash gordon comic and a fat phantom comic uh and maybe there would be a beetle bailey comic or something else in there you know um that was like that and uh, I loved those. Those were the those were great. Those packages. Um, mm-hmm. Nice to get three three comics for, you know, in those days it wasn't a lot of money. I guess it was maybe twenty five cents. I don't remember. But anyway, I think you're right. Yeah, it's it, having access to those, to having access to comics in general was so important if you were of the mind to become a cartoonist. You know, uh, and right. today. I think it's different. Um, you got to go to the comic shop in order to pick up comics. It was it's different when you just walk into a store and there they are, and uh, you have immediate access to them. I think we were lucky in that. Yeah, way. there were you know newsstands, just you know drugstores or grocery stores. Yeah, they were just all over. All over the place. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course now you know kids go online and they're all there at the finger fingertips. You know, but. Um, but there was something neat about going out on your own with a quarter in your hand and buying comic books and uh, bringing them home. Such an informative memory uh, of those. So, mm-hmm. so Barney Google showed up again this year. Uh, you just finished a story arc with Barney. Right. Uh, is he coming back again before the year I, is over with? He, he will. He'll be back. I actually have, I have one story um, 
written. I have another one that I'm working on for later. So <laughs> he'll be back. Yeah, he'll definitely be back this year. He'll so. be back a couple of times, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. That, that's so pretty... far, at least a couple of weeks, a couple more that, weeks I know of. That's good news for Barney Google fans, right? Yeah, Is yeah. That Barney's it's, gonna... it's a lot of fun. I enjoy that, getting to bring him back. Oh, yeah. Well, he's and it's special, you know, it just mm-hmm. it's, it's always very special. And uh, um, this week, uh, I think uh, Louise was trying to get him married. Uh, right. You know, right. It was a Louise good... and Elvani, Yeah, they were trying <laughs> to play matchmaker matchmaker with him. Yep. And uh, he escaped narrow escape. Uh, right. <laughs> from that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so. How does the future look for Snuffy Smith and and for Barney Google? I mean, in this these these days of dwindling newspapers, and uh, I mean, how do things look for the foreseeable future for for Snuffy? I mean, I I hope I hope Snuffy and and comics in general will always be around. I mean, I know I'm a huge fan of so many many comics, and I know probably you know most people probably aren't as as big a fan as I am, but um, I really feel like comics and, and Snuffy Smith, I hope they'll be around for many, many more years to come, just maybe on different platforms and hopefully they'll be on whatever platform we're on right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know, or whatever platform we're on at the time, I know, you know, I used to always read the comics in the paper and, and I still do look at my local paper for the comics, but then I also go online now and find so many other comics and, you know, you have it on your phone and um, so many comic sites out there. So I, I sure hope um, that they'll be around. And, and it's encouraging to see the all the different book collections and the graphic novels that, that are coming out for, for young kids that, that feature comics. And I, I sure hope they'll be around on, on whatever platform we have. And I, I hope Snuffy will be there. Well, one of the things that I, I find it, uh, I think, interesting, I've seen on my Instagram feed recently is that king is now looking like there's a new comic coming out called um hashtag sales i think is the comic and they're promoting it pretty heavily on instagram and uh i noticed that one of the things they say about that comic is you know it's not only comic strips but it's memes and cartoons and um you know maybe a little bit of animation here and there and so it's kind of it struck me as kind of interesting that now they're sort of expanding what the idea uh, or at least what King Features has traditionally promoted as a comic strip is now a multimedia uh, vehicle in a way. I mean, it's appearing in different forms, different formats, which is kind of interesting. I mean, it, it signals a different strategy as far as moving forward with comics, maybe we'll see stuff like that happening with Snuffy Smith eventually. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, I have seen that in the last couple of weeks. I don't know anything about it other than that. I know it's created by the, the gentleman that creates the Tinkerson's comic strip, but right. it'll be interesting to see what, what that is. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of curious and because I think it signals, it signals, I think, you know, a welcome and interesting change to you know one of the most venerated syndicates and and their approach this this sort of realization that we're in a different time a different different world and both 
bringing forward the old world and then adapting to the new world. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of interesting and it'll be interesting yeah, to see I, where it goes. I agree. I, you know, they're, they really, they really seem to have their, you know, their pulse on their, their hand on the pulse of what's, you know, what's going on in the, out there technologically and, in newsprint and all different avenues so it's yeah i'm kind of excited to see it is exciting yeah it's an exciting time and they're they're on top of it which is pretty neat yeah it's great and uh i i i hope they have great success with it so uh well anyway um this is i think you know this has been great having this conversation uh john i i've really enjoyed talking to you for the last hour and a half or so and it's gone by real quick and well, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. I appreciate you inviting oh, me to do this. It's, it's been a lot of fun. You are, you are, you know, like both Ron Ferdinand and Marcus Hamilton, uh, who I talked to over the last couple of weeks, you are far too humble. Uh, oh, because, I don't know. Oh, because, they're great guys. Golly, they they do amazing work and they're even, uh, better folks even you know, they're, they're great folks too. They, they are great folks and, and it's wonderful but it's, you know, I, I think one of the things that it's easy to take for granted is the idea that once a strip is established, somebody can come along and take it and continue that success, uh, success unabated, you know, and, and it's a real challenge and it's not an easy thing to do because you have an audience that's already, exi- that already exists that wants, you know, what they want. And what they want is what Hank Ketchum did, or they want what Fred Laswell did or whatever. And then you Mm -hmm. pick it up. You're a new person. You bring your own, you know, ideas and thoughts to it. And you have to find a way to do that at the same time, continue it forward in a way that this, the old audience finds acceptable. And that's not an easy task. And, you know, I think all three of you gentlemen have, have been, done an admirable job of bringing your strips forward and and maintaining their health and vitality and and uh you know i had i have i tip my hat to all of you because i think it's a very difficult thing to do and and thank you thank you very much i uh i guess i really feel like probably the secret and not the secret but the, the i guess the key ingredient in that is that you know maybe ron and and marcus and i were you know all trained so well by such great cartoonists in in uh, Fred Laswell and, and Hank Ketchum and I guess um, maybe that's helped us a little bit and we're we're trying our best to stay true to what you know what we what yeah. we were taught and then expand on it a little bit too yep and and certainly one of the things that you've done in bringing Barney Google and Sparkplug back that's I think that's the hallmark a big hallmark of what you've brought to the strip and uh, and that makes me feel really good I, I really appreciate you saying that well, absolutely, and I think the 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 sequence of strips that you did for the hundredth anniversary, those are going to be remembered for a long time. And uh, I think that was a pretty yeah, unique, pretty unique gift that you brought to the strip and uh, no, and to comics in general. So it's great, and I I wish you continued success with Snuffy, and and I'll keep reading and looking for Barney and uh, Sparkplug, and maybe one of those days we'll see that Sparkplug story. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that'd be fun to do. I mean, uh, I really like to, uh, thank you for having me on the, on your podcast. I'd like to, I'd like to just say too, I'm so thankful to, to, uh, Fred Laswell and King features for the wonderful opportunity they gave me. And then of course, to Billy to Beck for getting this whole, getting the whole ball rolling. So, yep. 
It's great to, to remember our forebears in comics right. and, and pay tribute to them too, because yeah. those those contributions and those strips are still there for us to go back and look at and marvel at, because a lot of them mm-hmm. are just so great. And IDW, right? Is it IDW that's doing the Barney Google? Yes, they, yeah, yeah. Um, they did the Barney Google for president. Um, yeah, <laughs> it came out on the last day of 2019. To, it was part of the 100th anniversary uh, celebration, but. It's a the uh, they're part of their essential series, the Library of American Comics essential series, and it it's a beautiful book. And yeah. um, I was honored to get to write a, a forward for it, but the book as a whole, it's just really neat to to see Billy DeBeck's style and 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 the character of Barney Google and and Sparkplug. Yeah, it's just and some of their early, uh, really popular stories. Well, we we live in a a moment, you know, where we're so fortunate that all of these wonderful collections are, are, you know, coming out to preserve the legacy of comic strips. And, uh, I just love it. You know, I've, I'm building up this, my wife says, I don't know what we're going to do with all these books, you know, cause I have, <laughs> my wife says the same thing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not getting any younger, but I think one of these days I'm just going to, you know, I'd like to make sure they, you know, all of the stuff goes to a library or something that really wherein young cartoonists can interact with it uh, uh, somehow anyway. But um, because it's just such what so wonderful and they're doing such a great job. And it's so great to see, you know, Billy DeBeck's work in a way brought to a new audience. And uh, uh, because I think once people pick it up, they just realize that the vitality that is in those original strips never dies. You know, it's still there and uh, Mm -hmm. vitality in his cartooning is still there. So that's, that's something I think that any generation can respond to. And uh, so it's great to see. Well, John, thank you very much. And thank uh, you. Actually, before you, before you go, I just want to tell you too, I've really enjoyed um, since we've become friends on Instagram, I've seen some of your animations and uh, especially your, that stay at home animation, the squash and stretch to the oh, house. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. That was really neat. Well, thank you very much. I, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm kind of like a, a failed comic strip artist who's resuscitated as an animator in a way. I mean, I think uh, animation's fascinating. I, I wish I knew more about it. I've always enjoyed it from the Saturday morning cartoons to the Walt Disney films to everything. Oh, yeah. Me too. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate, you know, that I have a job wherein I can share that with students. And at the same time, I'm sort of paid to continue my own research into it. And, uh, you know, and, and I realized that comics, cartoons, it's all part of the same thing for me, as long as it's, you know, we're dealing with that world, you know, and, uh, uh, whether it's animation or comics or comic strips or comic books, it does, it's all for, for me, it's all part of the same meal, you know, it's all part of the same mm-hmm. world. And, and right. I love dealing with all of it and, uh, working with all of it. The thing about animation is it is, it does take forever, you know, to do, but <laughs> it is like a, um, it's like a roller coaster ride. Once you get on, you can't get off. And right. so, yeah. that's a good so, description. <laughs> and so I'm I'm working on two films right now. One's a longer project and uh, working with older characters and somebody else's material. And then the other one is my own. And who knows? Uh, we'll see. But I'm I'm having a great time with them. And along the way, I do little things like that uh, public service announcement that I did mm-hmm. about COVID. That's exciting. That's neat. I look yeah. forward to seeing them. 
Well, you know, thank you. And I'll keep posting them. And, uh, you know, and I love seeing what you're doing on Instagram also. And uh, it's a great place to meet up and keep keep tabs on what people in this this wonderful field of ours are doing. So Mm -hmm. it's great. So, John, um, it'll be great to have you on again sometime in the in the future. I'm going to hit the stop recording button now. um, Okay. And uh, then we can say our own personal farewells. But for now, right. for the show anyway, um, thank you, John. John Rose for being here on Blockhead. And uh, we'll catch up with you again and with Barney Google in the funny pages. Well, thank you. <laughs> so there we are. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Rose as much as I did. It was really great to uh, sit down with John and talk Barney Google and Snuffy Smith talk about Fred Laswell and really what an interesting individual he was and uh, he brought a lot to the table not only was he a great cartoonist but he was also an inventor and invented a whole pile of different things if you check him out on Wikipedia like I just did you'll find out a whole pile of stuff uh, that he he invented and got involved with well beyond the uh, the realm of comics too so pretty interesting individual it's really kind of neat, you know. Uh, we get this image of a cartoonist as being just that, you know. That's his public image for us cartooning fans. Uh, but uh, there's so much more. And there certainly is about Fred Laswell and John Rose as well. And it was great to talk to John. John has a number of Snuffy Smith collections out there. And you should really avail yourself of them. Check them out on Amazon or elsewhere. I happen to have Snuffy Smith and his Sunday Best here with me, a treasury of Snuffy Smith Sunday comics by John. And it's a wonderful book collecting some recent uh, Snuffy Smith cartoons by John Rose. And I have to tell you, I shared it with uh, one or two of my students just to talk about how to use black and white to create a dynamic page when when you're keeping it very simple and utilizing just clean line how do you create a a page that still pops and john rose does it all the way through this book which is in black and white but it's beautiful it really is and uh, the use of black and white here it's just a textbook lesson for students who want to create a simple comic but they want that page to sing and uh, snuffy smith really does that and uh, kudos to John for that so check those books out on Amazon Snuffy Smith and his Sunday Best and there are a couple of others collecting John's work you'll really enjoy them as promised John did send me the Charlton Spotlight number nine is the issue as he, he said in the interview and it does include this wonderful story starring Jughead from Snuffy Smith and it's a terrific story about a frog race really hilarious and it really does allow John to stretch his his cartooning talents a little bit so you can see he had a lot of fun with it and it's a lot of fun to read so you might look for that also if you are in the mood for some Snuffy Smith and you want some more than you usually get in your Sunday comics page you got a couple of choices there so check them out that'll do it for me be sure to follow me on Instagram at Grogan Jeff, G-R-O-G-A-N-G-E-O-F-F. Uh, you can check me out on my own website, 
jeffgrogan.com. And hey, don't forget about my Patreon page. For those of you who are inclined or of the means to support this podcast, any amount you can pledge would be greatly appreciated. We have some great stuff coming up for you. Kevin Much of The Rough Pearl from Fanagraphics is up next. We have Brian Walker from Beetle Bailey. Yes, the great comics historian and comics writer cartoonist. Brian Walker of Beetle Bailey and High and Lois. And boy, oh boy, that's a great interview covering lots of ground. So that's coming up. Be sure to look forward to that. And then we have uh, Khalid Birdsong. We heard Khalid in conversation with Ray Billingsley. Now we're going to have Khalid on his own, flying solo, as it were. So lots to look forward to this summer. That'll do it for now. It's me in my closet (laughs) saying be well, be safe, wear your mask, practice social distancing because this COVID thing isn't going away anytime soon. And uh, so long, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. (music) 